the deadly sin of anger. Now, anger is a, is a when I think of the term anger, I, I think back to when I was a kid, and I, I grew up in the late 70s and early 80s, and uh, I remember as a child watching the uh, TV show, The Incredible Hulk. Anybody that was around that period of time? Lou Ferrigno, uh, Bill Bixby playing Bruce Banner. And, and I remember watching that show, and as a kid, it terrified me. I, mean, I, I look back on the episodes on Netflix now, and it's, it's really a joke watching it. I mean, the makeup is really bad. The wigs are really bad. Acting is awful. But as a kid, I was really drawn in. And I remember how the, the story started off every week the same way. And it had him as this doctor who had been exposed to gamma radiation. And, and then it shows him uh, by Bill Bixby, who's this doctor. He's really um, he's playing uh, Bruce Banner. And he is... Uh, <laughs> changing the car, changing the tire on his car. I don't know if you remember that. And a storm hits and the, and the, the, the car shifts over and his, you know, he, he's angry. And then you see his eyes and he has those green contacts in and his body swells and you always see the, the shirt begin to tear off. And then he's, you know, and then, and then it cuts away to him with this uh, reporter who's always chasing after him, trying to catch the Hulk. And he's talking to him, and I love this line. And, and, and so many people that watch that show back in that era remember this. He goes, you won't like me when I'm angry. You know, don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. Because when he gets angry, what happens? He's transformed, right? He's built on rage. And the more rage there he has, the stronger that he becomes. Now, I know some of you didn't grow up in the 70s and 80s, so let me fast forward to a, show, a Hulk episode you do know. So let's look at the Avengers for a moment. And you remember, uh, he, I don't know if you were the, saw the, one of the Avengers, I can't remember which one it is, but uh, of course, the Avengers are getting attacked by this alien race, and they're having a brief moment of rest before the second wave of attack comes when Bruce Banner shows up on his motorbike, and he gets off the bike, and he looks at all of them, and he goes, well, this is awful. And they said, well, yeah. They said, uh, uh, we could use a little awful right now. And they're looking at him, and, and he, he smiles, and he gets ready to, he turns around and sees this big alien craft being thing come at him. And uh, Captain America says, Dr. Banner, this is a great time for you to get angry. And he says, that's the key. I'm always angry. And he transforms, and he beats the, the thing down right immediately. And, and, and the Hulk is an interesting figure to me because he represents two parallel extremes. On one level, we fear the Hulk because he's this big, giant, massive, uncontrollable creature that is built on rage. But at the same time, in the Avengers, you see that they needed him to be that angry for a moment in time. And it made me think of something. Is anger always bad? Does anger ever have any redeeming qualities? Most of the time, we think anger is bad. It's always bad. It's this deadly sin. We've got it as one of the, 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 the criteria here. But as we've learned, as we've jumped into this series, there is actually, a, 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 we, we have a tendency to see that, that anger actually can have some good redeeming quality. Because here, especially in the Avengers, he needed to be angry. They needed that, that rage in a moment to help defeat the enemy. Now you might say, well, Travis, you're being a little extreme. We're talking about the Hulk here. None of us is the Hulk. But as we look at anger, we're going to see that it, it, it can be evil and bad and destroy lives and be deadly. But it actually has some redeeming qualities. And we're going to look at that in just a moment and see what does God say about it. Not only that, but we're going to ask ourselves the question, where does anger come from? Where does it come from? Some people might say it's the fall of man. But is it more than that? Where does it come from? What does it look like? What does God say about it? And then how, if we do have anger in our lives, and not the good kind of anger, how do we deal with it? How do we know if we are angry? And what, what can we do to help control this anger so we don't help destroy lives? That's what we're going to look at today. So before we go any further, let's ask God to bless our message time together. Father, we do come into your presence today wanting to understand. Lord, as we delve within your word, we find it more relevant than ever. Your word continually speaks to our condition, our day-in and day-out struggles that we, that we encounter, whether it's anger in our lives, whether it's uh, dealing with rage or understanding how to control our temper with our coworkers or our spouse or with our children. Lord, we know how quickly we can become angry. We can become hulks. We can destroy. 
But Lord, help us to see and understand your intent for anger and why you created it. Help us to understand how it might be redeemed and how we might control it for the glory of your name. We ask your blessing on us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go turning back and forth to several scriptures today, not just the one that we uh, had read for us, going to be in several different texts. Now, I want to start off, first of all, by uh, we need to discover where anger originates. Before we go any further to talk and understand what anger is, we have to learn where does anger come from? Uh, is it just from our sinful nature, this capacity we have to sin? We have, uh, is that where it originates from? I find that it's imperative, though, before we even really understand where it originates, that we need to get a definition of what anger is. What is anger? I have a definition that I've, I've chosen for uh, us today. It is, anger is an emotional response based on a perceived injustice. It is an emotional response based on a perceived injustice. Injustice. And we're going to be elaborating on that through the message today to understand. It's an emotional response. And it's not just emotional. It's actually multi-layered. It might start emotionally, but the physical uh, plays a part of it. The mental plays a part of it. Our past backgrounds play a part of it. Actually, uh, when you become angry, you have some chemicals released. Some dopamine, epinephrine, actually, re- not dopamine, excuse me, epinephrine, adrenaline is released into your bloodstream. And you become more tense, alert aware, nostrils flare, uh, you become kind of that fight or flight uh, mentality that you have going on. So it affects not just emotions, but though it might originate there, it's still connected to the body, mind, and will. And it's not something that you just decide to, ha- be, decide to do when you get up one morning. Rarely do, do you get out of bed. I mean, you, you hit the alarm on your phone or on your clock. You hit the floor and you go, you look up and you go, man, I'm just going to be angry at the world today. You know that? I'm just going to yell at everybody when I get on the expressway. I'm going to be rude to everyone I encounter. You don't do that. At least I hope you don't do that. It's anger is usually a response to something you perceive to be wrong. Someone has wronged you or you see some type of wrong going on. And, it, and it's a response to some type of event or situation in life that causes irritation frustration, pain, or other displeasures. And we have all know what it's like to be angry, whether some guy cuts us off in, on 88 or is following us too closely, or your friend who's po- posting political rants on Facebook. Does that ever get you angry? Facebook can irritate me very, very quickly. It can get me all up in arms. It can be depressed. I look at the news, I get angry. When I get to church, at not, I mean, when I get to church and I'm here at 9 o'clock and no one shows up on time, I get angry. Um, so we, we see that anger is, is a response to something. It could be even something your spouse says or accuses you of something that you fail to do. We all get angry. Christian pastor, counselor, and author Gary Chapman says that anger is fed by feelings of disappointment, hurt, rejection, and embarrassment. And he elaborates. He says this, When does a wife experience anger toward her husband? Ladies that are married, when do you experience anger toward your husband? Wait, did someone just say all the time? It's because in her mind, he is disappointed, embarrassed, humiliated, or rejected her. In short, he has done her wrong. Why do teenagers experience anger toward their parents? Because the teenagers perceive that the parents have been unfair, unloving, unkind, that the parents have done wrong. Why does a man kick his lawnmower when it's not working correctly? Because the lawnmower is not working right. The machine or its manufacturer has done him wrong. Why do drivers honk their horns when the traffic light turns green? Because they reason that the person in front of them should be paying attention to the light and not texting and should have accelerated two seconds earlier. See, when we understand that it's a response to a perceived injustice, we see things slightly different. Now, where does this come from? Does it come from the fall of man? No, it was already there before that. Instead, I hope, uh, hope we can see that it's actually rooted in God's perfections. It's rooted in God's perfections. God gets angry. God gets angry. Actually, the Scripture talks about it. Uh, and when the, the word anger is mentioned in the Scripture, um, especially in the Old Testament, the word anger is found 455 times in the Old Testament. It's a lot. 375 of those times 
refer to God's anger. In fact, we read this about God in Psalm chapter 7, verse 11. We read this. Let me call this scripture up here. Uh, not Gary Chapman here. Uh, God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry. Now, why is God angry? Where does that come from within himself? And when I say his perfections, what do I mean? Perfections is one way we say characteristics, attributes. It's part of the essence of who God is. Anger is born out of his holiness, which is his absolute purity and absolute separateness. God is holy. Matter of fact, it's the only attribute of God that is used to describe as an adjective to all others. Like holy love, holy fire. God, God is holy. I mean, he is thrice holy, holy, holy. He is completely separate, morally perfect, distinct, different. All of these things are incorporated within the word holy. He is different, altogether different from us. He cannot be tempted by evil. Evil cannot be in his presence manifestly without his allowance. Meaning that God is completely and entirely holy. Now, God is also just. What it means that God is just means that God has to, by nature, punish sin. He has to. He cannot let it go. He can't just overlook it. God has to punish wickedness. He is also righteous in that he is completely upright. And it's these attributes or perfections that is in his mind when he responds in anger. Because he sees a perception of injustice. And for God, it's not just perception, it's fact. It's not an opinion. I heard someone say the other day, well, it's God's opinion. God doesn't have opinions. God doesn't have an opinion. It's not based on what you, he, he doesn't, it, it's completely, what he does and says and is, is fact. There is no opinion. There is no other perspective but his. If it is not his perspective, then it's disobedience. It's wrong. He is the one who defines all of these things. And when he responds in anger, it's because it's not just a perception. He sees exactly what a person thinks, believes, and acts. There is nothing that is left from his sight. Everything is exposed to him. All of your motives, all of your attitudes, everything. He knows it. And he is angry because man has chosen to do something different than follow God. Now that angers him. Why? It's not just based on his love, I mean, on his justice and holiness, but it's also based on his love. Now, how is anger, then, a response of love? Well, first of all, you usually don't get angry about something unless you care about it. You don't get angry unless you care about it. It's true. If, it, if it's not a big deal, you just let it go. But if you care about it, you get angry. That's, and, and with God, he cares about man so much that when man chooses sin or anything apart from God, he is grieved and hurt and is angry because man is choosing something that is less than what God wants to give them, namely himself. So God gets angry with people. God is, gets angry. So in some ways... When we see that holiness meets his love, he gets angry because justice isn't being met, nor is the blessing of his people. And we get angry because we are made in God's image. It's part of, our, uh, uh, part of being human. God has made us in his image. Matter of fact, author Gary Chapman, he says this about anger. Anger is not evil. Anger is not sin- sinful. Anger is not a part of our fallen nature. Anger, and again, in its essence, I'm going to define this more later because it is a deadly sin, but we're going to see how there's actually different types of anger. Anger is not Satan at work in our lives. Quite the contrary. Anger is evidence that we are made in God's image. It demonstrates that we still have supposed to be some concern for justice and righteousness in spite of our fallen estate. The capacity for anger is strong evidence that we are more than mere animals. He elaborates, it reveals our concern for rightness, justice, and fairness. The experience of anger is evidence of our nobility, not our depravity. So God created anger, and it's supposed to be a good thing. Now, how is it a good thing? 
Well, if, for us to understand that, we have to discern the purpose of anger. The purpose of anger. Why did God create anger then? Why did I? If it's an understanding of wanting righteousness and seeing injustice and wanting to respond to it, then, then what's the purpose of it? Well, the first purpose of it is to this. It's to spur us to action when we see wrong. A great example of this is uh, the organization MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. One mother was appalled after her 13-year-old daughter was killed by a repeat offender drunk driver, and she was even more frustrated when he went to trial and they gave him a lenient sentence even though he was a repeat offender. And it caused her anger because it was an injustice that was occurring, and it caused her to rally other mothers who had contacted her, whose children had been killed, to bond together and form 400 different chapters across the United States of America to show up at the trials of those who had been convicted of drunk driving to ensure that justice was met out and that there would be greater sentencing that would occur and also making awareness of it at different schools. So you see, it was a response to injustice. It spurred them to action. You get angry about something, you finally want to act on it. It's to spur us to action. That's the first step of it. Secondly, it's, helped, it's, it's meant to motivate us to seek to stop evil. To seek to stop evil. A great example of this is William Wilberforce. Some of you may not be familiar with his story. There's been a book, a biography about him that has come out in the last few years that I would recommend reading by a man named Eric Metaxas. There was a film about him that he was so grieved at what he saw with the injustices of slavery in Great Britain that he spoke out and would continue to speak out because he wanted to seek to stop this evil, this oppression. When we see that going on, it should motivate us. It spur us to action that we might seek to stop the evil. That's what it should want us to do. When we see evil going on in our world, it should motivate us to step in. And the third purpose of anger is to save the evildoer. Now, this is not to say that we do not want justice. The greatest form of justice is a person's salvation, not their condemnation, when you consider what Jesus has done for them. What we need to make sure is that we want to save the evildoer. Now, let me try to give you a verse to help um, or explain a little bit what I mean by that. If a wife uh, and a husband are together and the wife becomes a believer in Christ, let's say, and the husband is not, and then the husband becomes very petty toward his wife. I mean, husbands and wives can be pretty petty toward one another, making very small things into big-time arguments. Uh, I remember speaking with one couple. They got into the biggest fights if the wife didn't put the cup in the sink but next to the sink. Do you have anything like that in your home? Like you, a little, little thing that sets you off? Maybe it's towels on the floor. Maybe he's just dirty, leaves his underwear out, and misses the hamper. Maybe, something like that. And it sets you off. And you guys can get angry fast. I mean, think about your fights that you might have. And this, say this husband, though, is being just rude to his wife, he's being belittling to her and demeaning to her. Now, how does she, what is the best way for her to respond? To yell at him? To nag him? To just withdraw herself? What is it? You know what the Bible says? This is what it says right here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse, uh, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may, may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure conduct. Now, this is not a license. Let me just put a little caveat on this. This is not a license for abuse, okay? If a wife is being abused, this is not, you, you don't submit to that, you seek help, because that's wrong. But if, if he's just being petty and being kind of a jerk, and I've seen this happening, play out in marriages, and the wife, God starts working on the wife, and, and, and she used to get riled up in a moment, there would be a fight, and God started changing it from the inside out. And now when her husband gets angry, she responds with soft words, and then he pulls back. You know, that's also representing the proverb, a soft answer turns away wrath. Because you know what it's like. You, you, someone yells at you, especially your spouse, you gonna, are you going to yell back? The tendency is to yell back. They yell at you in an accusing manner. You know their facial expressions. You know their, their verbiage. You know exactly what their body language is telling you at that moment in time. And you want to respond in kind. And he's saying, no, 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 no. This time is soft answer, turn away wrath. It's how you conduct yourself so that you might win him. You're not going to win him by force. You're not going to win him by yelling at him and berating him and belittling him. That's not how you're going to win him. 
And see, when we face that type of injustice and that anger wells up within us, our tendency is to fight fire with fire. You yell at me, I'm going to yell louder at you. You throw this at me, I'm going to throw something bigger at you. That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to respond differently. And the, and the purpose is, is to spur us to action, seek to stop evil, and then to save the evildoer. Now, I know that many of us might be a little confused thinking about anger this way. And this is why I, I wanted to, uh, I, I think we need to distinguish between a pair of angers. Now, this is where I, I mentioned before, there is a redeeming type of anger and then a very bad anger, this, this deadly sin of anger. And these pair of angers are this. There is a definitive anger and there is a distorted anger. Definitive anger means that you know all the facts and your perception is completely correct in your assessment. Distorted anger is where most of us are most guilty of, where we don't know all the facts, and we're reading into people's motives and not just their action. And then we respond angrily, and we lose control because we can't perceive it completely. We have to understand it definitively, which is to say that it's perfect or complete anger. And in order to grasp what definitive anger is, we need to look at the anger of Jesus. Jesus got angry. Matter of fact, um, as I studied this passage, uh, studied this topic, I found that Jesus got more anger than I originally had thought. For example, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and saw a man with a crippled hand. He knew that the Pharisees, or these, uh, these religious leaders that were there, were watching to see what he would do. And he felt angry that they were only out to put him on the wrong. They weren't there to really help people. That was an injustice in his mind. He didn't, they didn't care about people. It made God angry. They didn't care for the handicapped man, nor did they want to see the power and love of God brought to bear on them. See, there are other instances where Jesus showed anger or sternness. He sternly charged this leper whom he had healed not to tell anyone about it in Mark chapter 1, verse 43, because he foresaw the problems of being pursued by a huge crowd of thoughtless people who were only interested in seeing miracles and not in his teaching. But the leper disobeyed, and some things were made very hard for Jesus. Jesus showed anger again when the disciples tried to send away mothers and their children in Mark 10, 13 through 16. He was indignant and distressed at the way the disciples were thwarting his loving purposes and giving the impression that he did not have time for ordinary people. He showed anger in God's house of, when God's house of prayer was being made into a den of robbers, and God was not being glorified, and people were being prevented from praising and praying to God. Commenting on Jesus' cleansing of the temple and the anger that he displayed, uh, one old commentator, a man by the name of B.B. Warfield, wrote, A man who cannot be angry cannot be merciful. The person who cannot be angry at things which thwart God's purposes and God's love towards people is living too far away from his fellow man ever to feel anything positive towards them. And finally, at Lazarus's grave, Jesus showed not just sympathy and deep distress for the mourners in John 11, but also a sense of angry outrage at the monstrosity of death in God's world. This is the meaning of the words deeply moved in John 11:38. So God's anger is perfect. He perfectly understands what's going on in a person's heart and that's going on. And and we are to help show I mean to have anger when we understand that there has been injustice that has been done. The question we have to ask ourselves, is our perception of it correct? That's the difficult part. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But we have to understand that our anger is often distorted. Is distorted. And that means it's been affected by the fall. Our perception is not often right. We have a tendency to hold on to our anger, to steam over it, to let bitterness creep in. Anger is sinful when it is distorted. As we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, notice this. It says, or actually I don't have this. It's in our text for today. Be angry and do not sin. You can be angry, but don't sin in your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. See, anger is not wrong. It is holding on to the anger and allowing it to turn into bitterness, refusing to forgive refusing to make restitution or seek a resolution toward our anger. It's harboring something we perceive to be wrong and refusing to deal with it properly. We will all get angry. The question is, what do we do in our anger? What do we say? Are we getting the facts straight? Is our anger legitimate or not? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves. Which leads me to my next point. 
I want us to take an honest look at our lives and diagnose if anger is a problem in our lives. Now, this is where we come back to the distorted part of it, and this is how we can see if our anger is distorted. Here's the first question that you need to ask yourself. You say, am I in my anger perceiving things accurately? Do I have all the facts straight? Remember, it's perception of, or it's a a reaction to a perceived injustice. The question is, is do we have all the facts straight? There have been times where I've gotten angry with my children because I saw a behavior that went on, or I, I had told them not to do something and I saw them doing it. What I didn't know is after my reaction, my wife comes to me and says, I said they could do it. So I, my facts weren't, there was a change in the situation. And so my child is crying because I'm angry at them. But the mother, my, my wife had said that they could have done it. So it was, I, I didn't perceive it correctly, what was going on. I thought they were just being disobedient to me and disrespectful. But that wasn't the case. So I didn't have my facts straight, and I had to go back and apologize to my children. Are we perceiving things accurately? Is this really happening? Is my perspective off? Secondly, am I in my anger promoting God's righteousness? That might be a strange question, but this is straight from Scripture. In James chapter 1, verse 29 through, through 20, or 19 through 20, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the man, anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God or that God desires. Now notice something. Uh, and this is just a quick observation. How many ears do you have? How many mouths do you have? What's God trying to tell you there? should listen more than we speak. And that's for all of us included. And it's a reason why he says, let every person be quick to hear, but slow to speak. You need to listen carefully, but then be very careful what you say. Words are powerful things. Very powerful things. They have the power of life and death in them. James talks about how no man can control the tongue because the, the tongue can be a very powerful weapon that hurts people. And throughout the book of Proverbs, we see time and time again in these little tidbits of wisdom on the danger of our speech that we have to be quick to hear and slow to speak and then slow to become angry. It's interesting that it comes in that order. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and your reaction. It's saying that you've got to be slow to become angry because even if you are there to hear, you don't speak and you think about it, you still need to be slow to anger because it's not promoting the righteousness that God wants in your life. See, when we get angry, we want to act. But the problem is we act without knowing all of the facts that doesn't promote the behavior and the life that God wants. Now, here's the third question we need to ask ourselves if we are angry. Am I in my anger provoking further anger or fear? Is your anger promoting further anger from those around you. See, anger has a tendency to escalate. When we say something that is from anger, it has the, the person we say it to gets angry, and then we go back and forth, and it gets louder and louder and louder, and shouting happens, and then accusations fly, and all of these things start going on. There's a reason why in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about fathers not provoking their children. I want to share this verse with you. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The idea here is that the dad is reacting to a situation, and, that, and it says that it's to the point where he's hemming his children in, he's hemming them in, he's hemming them in, and it's provoking the child to anger because what the parent is doing is not being just or fair. This is where it gets really tricky as parents. This is why we have to rely on the Word of God, not what our culture dictates. Because our culture has a way to dictating certain rules and regulations and things like that. And we have to assert our control and our authority. And he's saying here, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't do that. You and your anger could provoke them to anger. You could put it, them in such a difficult situation that they respond in anger. We have to be very careful of that as parents. That's not to say we never get angry. That's not it at all. What it's saying is we have to be fair in how we interact, and we have to ask ourselves, am I provoking further anger and fear from the people around me? Because when we can blow up, and we can all fly off the handle. We can become hot-headed, and we, when we lose our tempers like that, it, it makes other people around us fear. And it's not a healthy fear. It's a fear where they're walking on eggshells and don't want to be around us. It's alienating us because of our blow-ups. 
So we have to ask ourselves and the ones around us, are you afraid? Are you afraid of me when I get angry? Next, here's the next question. Am I putting myself in a dangerous situation? See, when we get angry, we have a tendency to also lose self-control, and we react, and others react to us. We might perceive an injustice. Again, and we've all seen and heard cases of this, where somebody's on the expressway or on the road, and someone gets cut off, or they're following too, too close. They get at the stoplight. They get out of the car. They look at the person, and they give them the piece of their mind. And then that person responds in kind. I remember seeing it up, a video the other day that someone had showed me or came up, and uh, one guy got angry at another guy, and they got out of the car, and they started shouting with one another, and one went and got a baseball bat. The other guy took the car and rammed into his car. I mean, it was all-out brawl because they just let their anger go because anger, if not controlled, leads to destruction. We have to learn to rein in our anger. And, our, and if we're putting ourselves into dangerous situations, then we have a real anger problem. Next, am I in my anger painting those around me? See, when you're a hothead, people don't want to walk on eggs, be around you. They fear you and not in a respectful way. Jews in World War II feared the Nazis but didn't respect them. See, when you spew forth the lava of anger, frustration upon those around you, it's not a good thing. Ask your loved ones if they are afraid of you or of you getting anger. Are you, are you causing pain or humiliation to those around you? I was at a uh, uh, family get-together with uh, some extended family on my wife's side that she didn't know very well, and I didn't know them either. And uh, there was some, one of the men that was there, he, uh, he'd been drinking pretty heavily. It was like noon. And this guy was pretty sloshed already. And he, uh, they introduced me to him, and I, I could tell he was inebriated or pretty close to it. But when he heard I was a pastor, he went off. He started to come up with every word that he could think of. He starts verbally accosting me. He's getting more angry as he's talking. I just met the man. And his family all shied away. They turned away. They didn't want to talk. The whole place was silent. He's yelling above everybody else. It hurt. It humiliated the people around him. It made me feel awkward. But it really hurt his family. They were embarrassed at his hot-headedness. Does your family get embarrassed by your anger? Your coworkers, your friends... That's a question you have to ask yourself. Am I painting those around me? Next, is my anger really producing the change I want? See, when we get angry, it's because, again, we perceive an injustice and we want to see change. It's a spur us to action. And it wants us to stop the evil that we are seeing or that injustice and to save the evildoer. But the question is, is our anger really eliciting the response from other people that we want? Is that what it's doing? Now, it might be might be a force to put them in place for a moment, but are you really getting their heart? I, I had a debate with this Muslim man. Um, we were talking with one another, and he asked me, he goes, Pastor, I have to ask you a question uh, from the Bible. Tell me, how do you get your wife to obey? I said, first of all, wrong question. <laughs> that's first of all right there. That's the wrong question. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? I need you to elaborate for me. He goes, well, the Quran tells me that if I... Uh, if my wife angers me, then, and I need to change her behavior, then I don't speak to her. I said, okay. He said, then if uh, she doesn't respond to that, then I would withdraw myself sexually from her. I said, okay. He goes, the Quran's very specific about this. And he said, thirdly, then I strike her. The Quran says that. He goes, what does the Bible say? He said, it doesn't tell us what to do with that. I said, matter of fact, but, it, but let me tell you, you might get her to obey, but you will not have her heart. You can force someone to outwardly conform by your anger. But you've not won them to your side of thinking. I said, with the Bible, it doesn't talk about in those terms. What it does say is that I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church and give myself up sacrificially for her and to love her and to have a soft answer to turn away wrath if she's frustrated, not to withdraw in that way and not to do that. I definitely don't hit her because Jesus does not hit his church. And the marriage is to be a reflection of Christ's love for his church. And Jesus doesn't beat his church. He loves her sacrificially. That's how we as men are to be, to get the heart. It's always about the heart with God, not force. It's about the heart. And is your anger producing the change that you want? 
Jesus' anger did for the disciples. He cleansed the temple. He showed anger. And it showed the importance of prayer and how God's house should be treated to his disciples. Now, some people rejected that. But for the disciples, they saw greatly how much God desired and valued prayer. And it helped change their focus on prayer. So his anger did produce the change that he wanted. Now, here's the last question we need to ask ourselves. Am I and my anger pushing myself closer to others or further away? Closer to others or further away? Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, and I referenced this earlier. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's a soft answer. That draws people to you. When you get loud, people want to leave the room. Uh, I, did, I did a, used to be a caterer for a, brief, uh, for a brief time in my life, and I was doing a party, and the boss l- just let her anger out on everyone in the room. She exploded when you got behind closed doors about how things were going on. She would demean you. She would insult you. Needless to say, no one wanted to be in the room. No one wanted to be near her. Do people want to be near you? Do you have an anger problem? Now, maybe you do. Maybe you have an anger issue. Maybe you're like, well, I don't have it quite like that, but I, I do know that I'm really struggling with anger. Well, how do, I, how do we deal with that? I want to help give us a, a plan. To de- I want us to deploy the best response plan when angry. Here's the best response plan when angry. It's not a perfect plan, but this is how it's going to work. Because the, the Bible does want us to restrain our anger and know how to channel it and know how to, when it's viable and when it's not. When it's legitimate and when it's not. Here's the first thing that we need to do. We have to recognize that we are, or recognize that you are angry. You have to know that. Recognize that it's coming. When you feel that coming up swelling within you, you have to be able to recognize that you are angry. Remember I told you that there were chemicals released, some adrenaline in the bloodstream. You can feel yourself getting angry, can't you? I I tell that with my children when I know that they have done stuff that they shouldn't have done, and I give them a very quiet warning. Daddy's getting angry. My kids stop. Because I've blown it. I've lost my cool. I've lost control. I've yelled at them I've, to the point where I've made them cry. I feel awful about that. I'm trying to learn how to deal with my own anger. I've seen it creep up. The more stresses come into my life, the more I have a tendency to take it out on those around me, those closest to me. Something that I have to deal with and I have to learn to channel and put under subjection to the Lordship of Christ. But I have to recognize that I'm angry and I've learned to do that in my own life. I've noted when my wife and I get into discussions and, you know, we're a normal couple and we get into our arguments and that there's a tone my wife gets and I'm sure there's a tone that I get that immediately gets under my skin as soon as she says something. And I, and I used to react and then she would react and would get bigger. I've learned now to calmly not react to that, to restrain, or to recognize that I'm getting angry and then nextly to restrain my immediate response. That's the second thing you need to do. Restrain your immediate response. It might mean counting to a 1,000, walking a lap, leaving the room, do whatever you need to do. We have a tendency to go from one of two extremes, verbal or physical venting on the one hand or withdraw and silence on the other. Both can be destructive. We all have patterns of anger or old habits that we have to unlearn. We might have to learn to stop in the moment of being angry with our spouse or our children and say this, I'm really angry right now, and I don't want to say anything that, is going, that I'm going to regret, so please excuse me so I can go calm down. I've done that with my wife. When, when we've got into a disagreement and it's gotten heated, and I know that I'm, I'm getting really mad, and I know that I, I need to think, and I'm not thinking clearly, and I'm saying, honey, I love you. I want to talk about this, but right now I'm not thinking straight. I need to, I need to stop for a few moments. Give me about 10 minutes, and let's come back and talk about it. And that's worked. That's worked. She never gets like that, but I do. Um, I'm the one that gets angry a lot. But after restraining my immediate response, I, I need to just make sure that I'm that I'm not reacting to it. Now, sometimes that's that's easier to say than do because a lot of times it happens in a moment when something that we see happen and we react to it. We have to learn to control that because if you're a Christian, you have self control. You have the ability to say no to something. People say, well, the anger takes over and I'm enraged. Well, if you have the Spirit of God within you, you can restrain that response. You have to learn how to do it. You have to learn to be slow to anger. 
Abraham Lincoln understood this. He uh, had to write a letter to someone who had irritated him. And so he would actually often write two letters. The first letter was deliberately insulting. Then having gotten those feelings out of his system, he would tear it up and write a second letter. This one, tactful and discreet. Lincoln had grasped the meaning of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit better than he who takes a city. You have to learn to restrain that action or that reaction toward it. We need to restrain our immediate response. Thirdly, when you restrain it, then you need to rethink the focus of your anger. Rethink the focus of your anger and ask yourself, why am I getting angry right now? What is it? What is going on? Is it because I got into an argument with my spouse? Then I have to ask myself some of these questions. Why am I angry? Is it because of what my spouse has said or done? Is it the way he or she is talking to me? Is it the way that she's looking or he, or he is looking at me? Uh, does it, did this something, is it because of something that I had done or is it my spouse's behavior reminded me of my father or mother or is my anger at my spouse influenced by something that happened at work or in my childhood years ago? These are all factors that can draw out and affect our anger and why we're getting angry. Here's another one. If you're hungry, you ever heard of that term, hangry? Yeah, because that can happen to us. And if you know that, you have to recognize, I need to stop and I need to get something to eat right now. Because right now, I'm going to get frustrated. This is why, by the way, and let me tell this to, to couples, don't talk about real serious things right before dinner. Seriously, don't do that. It's, you're going to get stressed out. I find that I'm most stressed out when I'm hungry, I'm in the car, I'm driving and I don't know exactly where I'm going or I'm a little bit late, and I have to go to the bathroom. That is one of the biggest formulas of anger in my car. I'm serious. I am really stressed out, and I've learned how now I have to be aware of that, aware of that, to calm myself down, to recognize the things that help escalate my anger because these factors all play a part in escalating our anger. And knowing, here's another thing. This isn't on the list. You have to understand and go back to how did my parents or grandparents or the people that I grew up with react to things? Are you reciprocating their behavior? I grew up in a house without a father for several years. So my reaction, the way I learned to react in anger was toward my grandfather. And he didn't get angry very often, but when he did, oh boy. And this little guy got angry, and I I thought that was the way I was supposed to be angry. So I copied that behavior unknowingly when I got older. That's how I thought you were supposed to do it. It's not until I got older and started really studying the scriptures to say that wasn't the best response. So we've all learned someplace to how to be angry. And I saw how I was being angry. You know how I saw it? Not in necessarily my responses and how my children responded to each other. I saw how I got angry by looking at them. And then I felt really bad. I thought, how do I clean this mess up and help redirect that now? And I'm still working with him on that as I'm learning to have God work on me and direct me and my anger. So rethink the focus of your anger. What is it? How serious is this issue? Am I making a bigger issue than what it really is? What is it that's bugging me? Do I, do I feel like I'm not being loved or maybe I'm not being respected by this? With my wife, I've, I've said this where I've gone back and, and we have this time where we kind of cool down and we sit and talk with one another. And I'll say to her, honey, when you said this, I, I, I just need to know what you meant by that because when you said it, I felt disrespected at that moment in time. And she comes back to me and she's like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I meant this. And, but see, in my mind, that's what I heard. That's maybe not what she intended, but I needed to clear that up with her to make sure of that. I need to think, why am I being angry at this moment in time? Why, what is it that's really irritating me? We have to calm down and think it through. What is it? Is it just that it's out of my control and I want control over this situation? People aren't doing what I want them to do and I'm perceiving an injustice against me? Could it be that? It could be many different things in my anger. I have to rethink, what is the focus of my anger? Next, I have to review my options. Review my options. Do I have to get angry right now? Is there something else I can do? What can I do better? Uh, what is a better way to respond? So here's, let me, I'm going to tell you this. God has a way of really illustrating things in my life. 
So uh, my wife is out of town on this business trip. She's in Utah working with essential oils and things like that. So I've got the kids by myself for five days, right? So they're dressed, which is a miracle that they're here. But uh, we were outside having some fun the other day. I was playing this game with my kids where I kick the ball, and they catch it, and they get points. And uh, my two middle kids. And then Eliana, my oldest daughter, had some friends over, and they're sitting around the fire pit in our backyard. And my daughter's in color guard, so she's flipping the, uh, the flag, right? She's flipping the flag, and then the ball goes up in the air, and Mariah goes to catch the ball, and Eliana flips and goes right in Mariah's nose and mouth. Blood just starts flying out. I'm like, Melissa's never going to ever leave again. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> but my reaction was is to my oldest daughter, why were you doing that right where they were near playing ball, right? My first reaction was anger. And then I, but as I thought about it for a moment, I stopped and gathered myself because I said she didn't know. It was a total accident. She was standing a little bit far away with the ball going over to that region. So I couldn't be angry at her. I wanted to be. But I restrained my response, and I just needed to take care of my daughter. And then afterward, my, my oldest daughter comes to me, and she goes, I feel so bad. I said, honey, you didn't intend to do it. It was an accident. It's okay. Um, after the trip, and we got back from the emergency room. Fortunately, nothing is broken. But my life's got a, my, my daughter has got a pretty swollen face right now. Um, but it, anger can happen in a moment, a reaction to people. And we have to learn to restrain it. And I thought, even as I was getting ready to talk to my daughter, I thought, I need to review what I'm going to say right in my mind. Because what I want to say to you, I don't want to put you down and insult you right now. I want you to build you up. I want you to know it's okay. And so I had to rethink it. Because I did want to put her down, belittle her, and put her in place. That wasn't the best response. So I had to review the options, encourage, and comfort her. Because it was a total accident. So we have to think about that in our, in our anger. Is it a teaching opportunity, especially with our children? Is this an opportunity to teach them, to lead them, to help them to understand truth for themselves? I, I, my mentor uh, was a, uh, raised as a, he was the first white man ever to be trained to be a Native American medicine man. And uh, he would build, he actually, he would go out into these uh, reservations and help build like Bible schools and things like that. And he was telling the story, though, of how he became a carpenter and, and how he had this love for carpentry because he would always bring people and disciple them as he would do carpentry with them. And he tells this story about him and a friend growing up, and their dads both were carpenters. And he said, but I'm still doing carpentry, and my friend's dad didn't. So he said, you know what the difference was? My dad encouraged me when I messed up, and he gave me constructive criticism when I did wrong, but he never belittled me. This guy was angry all the time and constantly belittled his son. And he goes, which one of us is doing carpentry now? I am. Because he was encouraging to me. And when he was frustrated, he helped use that opportunity to constructively help me, not put me down because I wasn't doing exactly the way that he wanted it to be done. And he goes, that turned him off and to God. But here I am following and doing it with my whole heart. So we have to review our options. What's the best way to respond? And sometimes it means we need to, if someone has offended us, either we do one of two things. We confront them, and it may not be in the moment. We might have to take time and wait. We do confront them, not talk to everybody else around them. Go talk to them and say, hey, you said something the other day that really bothered me. Uh, do you have some time that we can sit down and probably talk about this? I just want to make sure that I'm not confused and want to understand what you were thinking there to make sure I'm perceiving things rightly. See? You've decided that you're confronting it, and you sit down. And I often find that when you confront someone with that, either, one, they didn't realize they had done it. It was complete negligence on their part. Or, two, if they did, they usually ask for forgiveness. Now, there is a third category where they don't, and that's for a different message on mediation. But that's what I find that most people respond Now, you could confront, or you could overlook the offense and let it go. Overlook the offense and let it go. And a lot of people have a hard time letting it go. But do you know the Scripture actually tells us that we can overlook an offense? We see this in the book of Proverbs. Again, Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. To to overlook it, because a lot of times it's unintentional. But you can restrain yourself, and you have more... When you restrain yourself, you're showing that you actually have greater power uh, to be able to restrain it and show that you have self-control. Lastly, we need to make sure that we respond with constructive action. 
Rather than fly off the handle, think about how you can respond constructively. If we're to overlook it, then we need to release it. If we notice it's following us and sticking with us in the days and that hurt is creeping back up, we have to go to, to God again and again and again and lay it out before him. If we cannot let it go even then, then we need to go to that person and speak to them and confront them in love. And if they respond positively, then anger has done what it's supposed to do. Remember, it's to correct, to seek to stop the evil, to win the evildoer to spur us to action, and it's won us, and that relationship then deepens. Relationships don't deepen without conflict. Relations do not deepen without conflict. Think about the people that you're closest with. Undoubtedly, you've had conflict with them. Relationships take work in life, in family, and in church. They take work. People are going to offend one another. We're sinners. That doesn't mean it's an excuse, but it means that we need to learn to work with one another. We have to respond with constructive action. And if you think about it, that's what the cross is. God being angry at man's fall, him being spurred on by his love to take action by sending his son to die on the cross for us. It's a pretty, it's, it's a pretty good response, I think, and offering us, us the gift of salvation through him. We have to understand that. Now, if anger is still an issue for you, I would encourage you to, to take these notes, look them through. Uh, and if you think you need to pass this on to someone else, uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the, the things around, but uh, the sermons are all being podcasted now, and you can get it to your device. So you can refer someone to the podcast to listen to it. And don't just say if someone has an anger problem, hey, listen to this. you got an anger problem. That's not the best way to go about it. But it's say, hey, this is something that's helped me. You should take a look at it yourself. Help them. Push them along to righteousness. Let's close this message time with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we all know how quickly we can go and be angry. Some of us are even angry this morning on the way to church, getting ready today, being with our kids, our spouse. We might be angry at our financial situation. We could be angry at our health or something with our job or our next-door neighbor. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's an old friend or family member. Lord, help us to, to use this anger to redeem it, to spur us onto action that your name might receive glory. Not that we would stew in it and become bitter and let it take control of our lives, but Lord, that it might spur us to make things right or help your name receive glory. So Lord, please help us. Help us to know how we can control ourselves, knowing that the, the Son of God, is, uh, his death and resurrection has enabled his spirit to be released unto us. We can have him living within each one of us and to live lives of self-control that your name might receive glory. So Lord, please touch us. Use us and help us to forsake this deadly sin for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.